Today's episode is brought to you by The Athletic, a subscription-based sports news site delivering in-depth sports coverage for real fans. Real fans like us, because we actually love The Athletic. We're both subscribers. A big shout out to Michael Russo for giving us all the hockey coverage that we Minnesotans need. Plus, it's ad-free. So go to theathletic.com slash bytes. That's theathletic.com slash bytes for 50% off an annual subscription to The Athletic. That's $36 a year for sports journalism that brings you closer to the action than you could ever dream of. Welcome to Legendary Bites, a podcast dedicated to two things we love, sports and brevity. I'm Seth. And I'm Charlie. Each episode, we're going to bring you a bite-sized sports story in under 15 minutes that we find fascinating, important, or just plain absurd. Now, with brevity in mind, let's get into it. Charlie, what do we got today? Today, we're going to tell you the story of two pioneering runners, Bobby Gibb and Catherine Switzer, the first women to finish the Boston Marathon, whether the men in charge liked it or not. All right, Charlie, kicking this off here, what is the longest distance you've ever run? Well, Seth, just the other day, I ran 26.2 meters. <laughs> oh, amazing. That is pretty, that's, that, those are meters. Um, Charlie, I've ran five miles at one time, and unless I'm being chased by some rabid animal, I don't think I'm ever going to do it again. And I ask this because today's episode is all about running. Running is the most popular sport in the world and probably the oldest sport in human history, and just because it's the oldest, most popular sport doesn't mean it's been the fairest. In fact, up until the late 1960s and early 1970s, marathon running, at least in America, was predominantly for men. It's not that women weren't interested in the sport. They, they certainly were. It's that the rules of running hardly allowed them to participate. Let's talk about rules. Written rules and unwritten rules are often the biggest obstacles to progress and change that exist, not only in sports, but in society as a whole. It's often the people that break those rules that are the ones that move us forward. So today's story is about these two women who had powerful men standing in their way, ran right through them, and then kept running all the way through the finish line into the history books. Yeah, that's right. This story is about Catherine Switzer and Bobby Gibb. Let's start with Bobby Gibb. Bobby was born outside Boston in 1942, and from a young age, Bobby loved to run. And it's clear from early on that nothing, be it literal or metaphorical, was going to stop her from running. In fact, one early obstacle she did face, and this kind of gives you an idea of what running was like for women in the 1960s, was that sneaker companies didn't make a single running shoe in women's sizes. All right, so that's the end of the story, right? Can't run without shoes. Yeah, it's pretty hard to run without shoes. But she did her training regimen instead of running shoes in a pair of Red Cross white nursing shoes. That is a far cry from some Bill Bowerman-designed Nikes. Yeah, Bill Bowerman, the man who brought jogging to America. Thanks, Bill. <laughs> so in college, Bobby keeps running. Her commute was eight miles, and obviously Bobby ran the whole way. And she was a gifted runner, but at the time, there just wasn't much of a place for women in the world of competitive running. Let's talk about the dreaded amateur athletic union. I feel like we should have like the bad guy music from Star Wars play when this goes. Oh, that's good. <laughs> So most of us probably recognize the AAU as a moniker for traveling basketball teams growing up. But the AAU has been the main organization for amateur athletics for more than 130 years. They write and enforce the rules for all amateur athletics. Yeah, they're the governing body for people who don't get paid to play sports, essentially. And in the 60s, while 
Bobby Gibbs tearing up the pavement. Which is ripping gravel. Churning dirt. Curb stomping asphalt. All right. That, very aggressive. <laughs> uh, well, she's doing that. The AEU is enforcing the rules of running with an iron fist. And those rules are meant to keep professionals from running against amateurs, but they also stipulated that women couldn't compete with men. In fact, most all marathons of the time are classified by the AAU as men's division races, so women aren't even allowed to compete. Even worse, marathons are 26.2 miles, according to car bumper stickers of people who've ran marathons, and that's just for men. The longest AAU-sanctioned race for women at the time was 1.5 miles. That's nuts. Yeah, that's nuts. And this is just straight-up misogyny. The men in charge at the AAU said that women weren't physiologically capable of running marathon distances. They could only run 1.5 miles. We know this because Bobby Gibb had been training for the 1966 Boston Marathon, running up to 40 miles in one day. She applies to run the full marathon and gets rejected by race officials. But yeah, she can only run 1.5 miles, you you dweebs. Dweebs. But Bobby doesn't listen. She's going to run the thing anyways. So the morning of the race, Bobby, who's 23 at the time, gets dropped off by her mom at the starting point. She then hides in the bushes, and once the starting gun goes off, she slips in and starts running with the hordes of men. And Bobby has no intention of running only one and a half miles. She blows right past that mark and keeps on running. Yeah, Bobby starts the race with her hair pulled back and in a nondescript, I think it was her brother's sweatshirt. And as the race gets going, other runners and fans start to notice a woman is running. The reception is positive and encouraging. People are kind of cheering her along. So she ditches the sweatshirt. Excitement starts to spread. And after three hours and 21 minutes... Which is faster than two-thirds of the men in the race. Yeah, Bobby crushes it. And she reaches the finish line and finishes. The governor of Massachusetts is there waiting to shake her hand. She becomes the first woman to run the Boston Marathon. I really felt like this was a pivotal moment and it was going to change how things are for women. And it was just this incredible sense of triumph. Wow. So Bobby's stealthy success, which makes national news, is enough a reason for the AAU to change their outdated rules for women's running, right? Wrong. Wrong, wrong, wrong. The AAU doesn't do a damn thing. Bobby's race time is not considered official, and they pretty much ignore it. But that doesn't stop Bobby. And the next year, in 1967, Bobby runs the Boston Marathon again. But this time, she has some company. Yeah, and as Bobby's slapping the old asphalt in Boston, another woman up at Syracuse is doing the same thing. Enter Catherine Switzer. Like Bobby, Catherine could really, really run. And also like Bobby and all women runners at the time... Catherine faced obstacles. At Syracuse, there's no women's running team. So Catherine starts running with the men's cross-country team. Yeah, she's running with the team, and as she does that, she makes a new friend. The university's mailman and later assistant track coach, Arnie Briggs. Arnie was a 50-year-old guy who trained with the men's cross-country team, and he had a good reason to. He had run 12 Boston marathons in his lifetime and once ran a 4-minute and 30-second mile, which is insane. Catherine and Arnie, the postman, strike up a friendship, and as they run through the frigid winters of Syracuse, she tells him that she wants to run the Boston Marathon. After Catherine proves herself by running 31 miles straight, Arnie offers to help. So in 1967, Bobby Gibb has company in her fight for equality, as both she and Catherine Switzer are running the Boston Marathon. Though company's probably a bit of a stretch as the two women aren't running together, and in fact, their race experience couldn't have been more different. Let's set the scene here. Frigid April morning in Boston, wind, sleet, snow, the whole deal. 
Bobby is running this race for the second time and is doing so without an official bib number again. So the AAU wouldn't sanction it, but like the year before, she's met with encouragement and other runners in the crowd are kind of cheering her on. Honestly, I was surprised by this, but both women highlighted in their memories of the day just how supportive their fellow runners were. Yeah, and Bobby has a great race. She finishes in three hours and 27 minutes. Outside of her time not officially counting, her race was normal, and for the second year running, Bobby crushes more than half the field of men. Now, let's kick it to Catherine Switzer. How did her first ever Boston Marathon go, Charlie? Let's just say Catherine has a pretty different kind of day. Unlike Bobby, Catherine actually officially registered for the race, but she skips a key detail in her application. She never tells them that she's a woman. Catherine writes in her initials, KB Switzer, and she's given a bib number, number 261, and with that is officially an entrant in the Boston Marathon. Catherine's race, you know, starts very uneventfully, but word of another woman running, one with an official bib starts to spread, and at mile four, a bus and a flatbed truck packed with media photographers drives onto the course honking their horns, demanding the runners move to the side of the road so they can get shots. That seems kind of insane, even for paparazzi. Yeah, but they know they're there to capture history. And as they shoot pictures of Catherine, the villain of the story, Jock Semple, enters the tale. Jock is the race organizer and was a real genuinely bad guy. Yeah, his name is Jock, so that gives you some idea of it. Exactly. He gets in Catherine's face and screams at her, get the hell out of my race and give me those numbers. <laughs> that's a good, that's a good Jock voice. Yeah, so Catherine's stunned but avoids him and keeps going. So Jock Semple sprints up behind her and grabs her by the shoulder. This is where the iconic photo from that day was shot, the one that makes the front page of newspapers. In the photo, his face is twisted into a snarl, and you can tell very quickly that he intends to cause actual malice to Catherine. He's not going to let her run the race. So after a physical confrontation that ends with Catherine's boyfriend punching Jock, Catherine gets away. And what does she do next? She does what she does best. She just keeps running. I'm going to finish this race on my hands and my knees if I have to, because nobody believes that I can do this. And suddenly I realize, you know, if I don't finish this race, then everybody's going to believe women can't do it. Before long, she's 10 miles under her belt, then 15, then 20, then finally she crosses the finish line. It's crazy. Catherine survived a literal assault in over-egress riding in buses and trucks, and more importantly, had conquered the race, becoming just the second woman to ever finish the Boston Marathon, and the first one to do it with a race official with an 80s movie bully name trying to assault her. After the race, the race official who had personally rejected Bobby's application in 66 enters the picture. When asked about the two women... He said, women can't run in marathons because the rules forbid it. Unless we have rules, society will be in chaos. I don't make the rules, but I try to carry them out. We have no space in the marathon for any unauthorized person, even a man. If that girl were my daughter, I would spank her. That's a good race official voice, Charlie. Yeah, thank you, but forget that guy. Yeah, forget that guy. Uh, And that, my friends, is why you have to break the rules to make history. But breaking the rules came with real consequences. At the time, the AEU decided who could participate in races and even who was eligible for the Olympics. So according to their rules, women were literally considered, and this is a direct quote, a contaminant. The same term used for professionals who competed against amateurs, they contaminated the sanctum of competition. And Catherine, for her efforts, was punished. She was banned by the AAU from running. But it was worth it. Definitely. Because the 1967 Boston Marathon is a turning point for women's running. 
even though the race organizers didn't officially record Bobby and Catherine as finishers. Despite them completing all 26.2 miles, a spark is lit and the world starts to take notice. And the next year, those two show up to run, and this time they have three other women alongside them. The movement is building. Exactly. You know my code. Hose before bros. Uteruses before deuteruses. Got it. Ovaries before broveries. The efforts by Catherine and Bobby led to other women taking up the fight, like Nina Kusik, who sued the AAU after running the Boston Marathon the next year. According to record books at the time, no woman actually completed the Boston Marathon until Nina's lobbying in 1972, when they changed their rules to allow women to run the race. Nina followed up her lawsuit by smoking the competition and winning it all that year. That same year, Nina and a group of women staged a protest at the starting line of the New York City Marathon forcing them to allow women to compete equally with the men. The gender barrier had officially been broken. And you know who wins the New York City Marathon two years later with a bib and on the books? Who? Catherine Switzer. Of course. She also completed it again in 2017 at the age of 70. It took until 1996, the 100th anniversary of the Boston Marathon, for the organizers to formally recognize Bobby Gibb as the women's winner of the Boston Marathon in 66, 67, and 68. She was awarded her first place medals decades after she deserved them. And in 2016, Bobby served as the marshal of the race. And the women's winner that year, she gave Bobby her trophy. Bobby Gibb and Catherine Switzer were rule breakers. They didn't do things like they were supposed to. As the saying goes, the first through the wall gets the bloodiest. Bobby and Catherine saw a wall of inequality, and they ran right through it. And in doing so, they started a movement that changed the sport of running forever. Thank you to our producer, Patrick Buddy, to Josh Yeston for his design talents, and to the Red Cross for accidentally making groundbreaking running shoes. Follow us on all things social at LegendaryBytes underscore for a lot more interesting nuggets from each story. While you're listening, give us a rating on Apple Podcasts, preferably five stars, but you know we'll leave that up to you. And finally, subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to get more great 15-minute stories on sports, history, and everything in between.